Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 1st. Housing is an issue in the New York State governor's race. In the one debate that Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin had, which we aired live here on WNYC last week, there was an explicit housing question, and we're going to play that full exchange for you now. It's two and a half minutes, and it begins with a question from moderator Errol Lewis from Spectrum News New York One. New York City in particular is seeing record high rents. New Yorkers upstate, New Yorkers upstate are getting priced out of starter homes. According to the New York State Unified Court System, there have been more than 150,000 eviction filings this year alone. A lot of that, of course, is the result of the pandemic. What, what is your plan to ensure that families can access stable, affordable housing? And what do you believe the state's financial commitment toward affordable housing should be? While we need to be building more affordable housing, there are individuals who and companies that want to invest here, but because it takes so long for them to be able to get approvals, the process is so drawn out that they're looking to other states and they're sending their money elsewhere. I just spoke to someone who's moving operations down to North Carolina instead of investing that money right here. We have people at the state level, bureaucrats drawing it out. You can abuse the the litigation process to draw this, this process out. And honestly, the last conversation that we were just having, the last question about improving the economy, creating more good paying jobs, that's going to be important for us to be able to have individuals who can afford to have that dream of home ownership. But in Kathy Hochul's New York, you can either have your first kid here in the basement of mom and dad's house, or you can move to some other state and buy your own home in Cary, North Carolina. First time home buyer credits is going to be a very important thing for us to ramp up in this state. Keeping the American dream alive as a New York dream is right now under attack. It gets reversed January 1st. I don't think I heard an answer in that, but let me talk about what we've done already before I respond. $25 billion in the last budget to build 100,000 more units of affordable housing. I go to more ribbon cuttings and groundbreakings from the Bronx to Brooklyn to Rochester to Buffalo, and we're building this. But in the meantime, we have to continue helping those who were subjected to having a loss of income during the pandemic. They couldn't make their rent payments. Landlords were hurt, they were hurt. I'm the one who opened up billions of dollars my first week on the job to make sure we could help them be stabilized. But going forward, I have a plan that's going to help us with office space conversions in places like New York City, also do the more more building, but also break down some of the barriers that are there. There's a lot of zoning. Transit-oriented development makes sense. We've seen success of it all over Long Island and and in the lower mid-Hudson area. And so there's policies that we can talk about, not just it's going to be better on January 1, just wait, just wait. You have to have real policies behind this. And that was the affordable housing exchange in last week's Hochul-Zeldin debate. So let's take a closer look. With me for this, Catherine Brenzel, senior reporter at the New York real estate-oriented news organization The Real Deal. Her article on the debate was called Debate Stunner, Hochul and Zeldin Support Idea of More Housing. Catherine, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks so much for having me. So on the slightly snarky headline on your article, yes, they both said New York needs more housing. So did you hear a difference in their approaches? Was there a Democratic and Republican way to ease the affordable housing shortage that got articulated there? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think in general, their answers were both telling and also not super informative um, at the same time. Um, Zeldin, you know, approached the question by saying that the state has too many regulations that make it too difficult for, um, he seemed to be talking about businesses, but I think the implication was he's also talking about developers. It's too difficult to build in the state. Um, you face the risk of facing litigation that will hold it up, making it not worth the time or effort or money um, for developers and businesses to um, to open business and you know build in the state. Um, he did he did mention um, the need to ramp up uh, first time home buyer credits, uh, which I think was a fairly new um, topic for him. I don't think he's really talked about that in the past, but overall his approach to the question was we need to cut red, red tape. We need to make it cheaper and easier to, to build and live in the state um, without really offering any sort of specific plan to, to do so. Um, Hochul's answer largely focused on, um, you know, things that her administration has already done. She mentioned the $25 billion five-year housing plan that was approved in the last budget. Um, and she also floated uh, proposals that actually she had put forward in her budget this year, but that were ultimately taken out. Um, so she, you know, she mentioned sort of previous proposals um, that had not been successful previously, but, um, you know, but that she indicated for. that she might. Right, right. That, yeah. That, well, um, let's, let, let's, Dive even deeper on each of them. I mean, Zeldin's response, at least as it sounded from that clip, basically only said the government should get out of the way of market forces. Yes, he had that one brief mention of ramping up first-time homebuyer credits, um, which we'll get to. I'll ask you to explain those. But his big specific emphasis was that it's too hard for investors. He emphasized, you know, the problems for investors, not so much the problems of um, people who can't afford their homes. Um, but he said it's too hard for investors to get the approvals they need quickly in New York. So they go and build housing in other states instead. Is it clear to you at The Real Deal what he's referring to or how he would make it easier for developers? Unfortunately, no. I mean, I, I think he seems to be just sort of referring overall to the different sort of approvals you have to go through, um, you know, to to build in the state, but he didn't he didn't really get into any specifics as to you know what aspects of the approval process he would approach. Um, you know, I didn't really mention how he would deter litigation um, in cases where there's opposition to development. Um, so not a lot of specifics around that as of as of right now. And what are those first time homebuyer credits that he supports, and does Hochul support them too? So that's a good question, because I, I was trying to figure out sort of what he was specifically referring to. I know there's there's federal level first time homebuyer credits. I know that there um, there have been proposals at the state level, um, but unclear if he's looking to launch his own program or he's, if he was referring to the, the federal credits. And to Hochul's response, you key in your article on the fact that she touted her administration's $25 billion housing plan which she projects will create or preserve 100,000 homes over five years. Do you know what specific policies that $25 billion is being spent on to achieve that goal? That's, that's a good question. And I, I think because this was approved in the latest budget, I, I know that there have been 
and that like subsequent announcements, um, you know, detailing specific projects, but I don't know that we've seen sort of a detailed layout of the, you know, sort of specific um, areas that that's, that funding is going toward. But I know it is, it is, uh, there is a portion of that that is dedicated specifically to individuals with disabilities and, um, you know, other, you know, vulnerable populations. You know, Catherine, to look further than at what they said in the debate, I went to both the Hochul and Zeldin campaign websites. Hochul's has an explicit housing issues section. Zeldin's campaign website does not. Do you think he has reasons to avoid housing or downplay housing as an issue, even though it's such a top concern and complaint of New Yorkers? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to speculate, but I think, you know, Zeldin has made crime and public safety the centerpiece of his campaign. And I think in some ways, you know, perhaps, you know, focusing on affordable housing and other issues might distract from that. And I mean, so far, it's it's been a somewhat effective strategy on his part. You've seen Hochul actually in the last couple of weeks hit back on the crime and sort of public safety issues, um, which, you know, maybe in response to her her narrowing lead over Zeldin. Um, but I, I, I also went through Zeldin's um, campaign website. And there are, if you go into some of the individual categories, there are very brief mentions of um, housing related issues. Um, he does mention he want, that he wants to end veteran homelessness, but I don't think there's a specific plan attached to that, you know, spelled out on the website. Um, and he does also mention his opposition to one of the zoning changes that Hochul had proposed, which was to allow uh, the, the building of accessory dwelling units on lots that are zoned for single family use. Um, but those seem to be the only real mentions. Uh, otherwise, he's, I know in interviews, he's sort of given similar answers that he gave during the debate, which is that he acknowledges that there needs to be more housing. But beyond that, there's not really a clear path to, you know, how to accomplish that. Right. Let me focus on that issue that you just mentioned that he goes to briefly on the, the economics portion of his website, uh, because I saw that too, and I was going to ask you about it. It's one housing policy reference within that, and he criticizes Hochul for a proposal that she later withdrew, but that he calls a Hochul proposal to end single-family housing. So that sounds apocalyptic and probably exaggerated, uh, but what's the proposal from Hochul that he characterizes as to end single-family housing? Yeah, so the original proposal would have required uh, localities in the state to uh, allow accessory dwelling units. So that could be, um, you know, a basement converted into apartment. It could be a garage, like an attached garage turned transformed into an, an apartment. It could also be a, you know, separate structure that's built, you know, in the backyard that serves as as a unit, a housing unit. Um, so Basically let me requiring... let me jump in for a second. So that that sure. wouldn't that wouldn't this isn't about construction of apartment buildings near single family home neighborhoods or anything like that. This is about how home how homeowners, single family homeowners can use their own property. Correct. And you know, I I think a lot of the um the rhetoric around this proposal did sort of frame it as, you know, the end of single family homes as you mentioned. And I think something that sort of lost in that debate is, you know, you're not requiring, you're not requiring the transformation of a single family home into a multi, 
unit development, you're you're giving people the option to add these units to their properties yeah. as so, so as a way to a, increase um, yeah their housing. their income right oh and housing mm-hmm. but there's a conservative paradox there no they want personal freedoms and property rights as core values. But in this case, it sounds like they want government to stop private homeowners from renting out their basements. Right. I, I think I think too you can kind of extend that to the idea that you know Zeldin is is saying that um, you know we make it too hard to to build in in the state. But then he he opposes this measure that um, would allow you to to do more with your property. Um, but you know his concern there I know was. He didn't like the idea that um, localities would sort of relinquish relinquish their control over what um, you know what can be built um, in their cities and, and towns. Um, there were subsequent proposals that that really eased up on that language that um, simply gave localities the option to to legalize these units, but even that proposal didn't manage to move forward this year. Right. So it was withdrawn, but I guess the the big government aspect of it that a Republican would object to was the state telling localities uh, what they had to allow among their homeowners. And Jonathan in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for calling. Hey, how's it going, Brian? I'm doing well. I really appreciate you guys, you know, uh, tackling this this issue head on in, in conversation. I just wanted to say that I think that allowing homeowners, developers, uh, investors in, in, in New York real estate, the opportunity to uh, change zoning, I think is, is a will, will lift a lot of a weight and burden off a lot of people's shoulders, not just them, but also also tenants in New York. Uh, I think that uh, it's something that's not being addressed is how uh, our 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 government and, and the laws and regulations that go into New York real estate, especially in New York City. I'm a native, uh, you know, Brooklynite and a real estate agent of almost a decade. And right. I could tell you that it, it's 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 a huge issue. Right. Like there are all these office spaces that are vacant. Uh, the time it takes to even expedite, you know, a transition of uh, of zoning is 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 an issue. It's going to be a huge issue right now. We have a housing crisis, a housing shortage, uh, and what it does is that it creates very dire circumstances for people who can't already afford to live in this city. And I'm, I'm saying that also as a millennial. I'm 31 years old, uh-huh. and I can see how it, it strains, uh, you know, working class people. To just to, to live and survive in this city, there's a housing shortage. On the other side of that, uh, the, the the zoning that exists is is a little outdated. You have places that are very residential historically that are undergoing, you know, a, a form of development that's very clearly I don't want to say it, but it's true gentrification and almost like attack on the quality of life of people in that area because there there's mixed use zoning. Think about that. You know, there there are places in Brooklyn where people are going in next to houses and building skyscrapers. And then you have places there where people are okay with big buildings and they can't even convert to multifamilies. So uh, I I think that it's a huge issue. I think that, you know, lessening the rules and regulations, I think they're they're so layered that I think you could pull back on them and you'd still have uh, a a maintenance of, of, you know, private living and quality of life and for owners that 
it's still great and it will still be New York, but I think in its current state, it's uh, it's really problematic for a lot of people. And at the end of the day, what it's going to fall on is not just the people who are capable of investing, but the people who are, are at the whim of the development uh, and, and housing shortage in New York City. Yeah. So thanks for all that, Jonathan. And let me ask you one follow-up question. As um, a real estate agent and with the various concerns that you just stated, do they come into mm-hmm. conflict with each other at all? Like if you're seeing gentrification in a lot of neighborhoods, but there is also a desire to build um, taller buildings in some neighborhoods, you know, a lot of communities object that, look, these taller buildings, they're mostly luxury housing or market rate housing, and maybe the government requires a 20%, 30%, 35% affordable below market rate percentage in those buildings, but the overall effect is still more market rate housing, and that gentrifies the whole neighborhood and winds up displacing people who are already there eventually as prices go up. Do you see a way to resolve that conflict? Do I think there's an immediate way to resolve it? No, but I think that by first acknowledging that the variables are not so black and white, I think is a, a huge step. I think that, you know, when developers are talking about also affordable housing, who is it affordable for? I think that, you know, I, and I, I say this with full, complete confidence as someone who was born and raised in a, in a, a, a very much a, a working class Brooklyn. Right. It's like uh-huh. the, the, the affordability of even affordable units is not really affordable. Right. So I think all of it is quite skewed. And I think that I think that if, if, if we're talking about building, then, yeah, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge the fact that the terminology that we're using isn't exact. Uh, it's who is it really helping? And I think at least in that we can start breaking it down. But I, I think that we're so far past that point that the the conversations the the you know the verbiage that we're using who it really applies to and the reality of the experience versus what's on paper is is so different so yeah i, I think they're yeah. absolutely at conflict with one another with they're they're too there there's too much regulation that at, at the end of the day what it really is supporting is the hyper commodification of 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 living Yes. in New York and it, jo- it doesn't it doesn't allow enough leeway at all. Jo- Jonathan thank thank you thank you so much for your call. Thank you very much. Please call us again. And I mean th- there there it is Catherine, right? I mean that's sort of the the ultimate challenge and the ultimate set of obstacles in New York and paradoxes. You know all the opposition that comes up from community after community when the city wants to add more housing which in theory, mathematically, is needed to ease the housing shortage, which would then theoretically push down rents. But then there are all these developments with mostly market rate housing. And oh, look what happens. The neighborhood gentrifies rather than becomes more affordable. Right. And I mean, I think there there have been some there has been some discussion as to to what extent, you know, adding market rate housing to a neighborhood, um, you know, causes displacement or, or drives up rents. I know that the Furman Center had a, a report that sort of digs into this this issue. But one of the things that the the caller said really stuck out to me is the the idea that, you know, calling something affordable doesn't really tell much tell you much. Um I know it's it's a moniker that 
that a lot of that the city uses that you know state officials use that that the media uses but um it, it doesn't it's not extremely helpful in telling you you know who can actually afford to to live in a unit and i think that that's something that um you know i think would go a long way in changing how people think about housing if we if we could kind of address address that issue more head on we leave it there with Catherine Brenzel, reporter for the real estate-oriented New York news organization, The Real Deal. Catherine, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.